And welcome to Snakes and Ladders, a podcast about our time in the workplace, career ups and downs, and the tips and tricks we've picked up along the way. Uh, my name is Peter Conroy, and with me is the salt to my pepper, Julian Armstrong. Hey, buddy. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for joining us. Coming up on today's show, it's 2023. Gender identity, race, sexuality, and even age. The world is a rainbow and so should be the workplace. Today, we talk diversity, inclusion, being meaningful, and avoiding tokenism. And it's back. We return to the myth quiz. I'm going to quiz Pete on D&I facts and see which ones are true and which ones are trash. But first... Mr. Julian has a cold, but is powering through it. Armstrong, (laughs) how are you today, mate? Well, we both know that I'm incredibly late today. (laughs) Yes, it's late today. I I did a very schoolboy thing and slept through my alarm, um, having taken some Codril Night tablets. Um, So I'm half groggy, half here, but ready to power through. Yeah. I don't think I've ever known you to sleep through an alarm. No, no, usually up very early. Yeah. But... um, my aura ring thinks I'm well rested. I was going to say, is that an aura ring? Did yeah. you just get one? Wife got me one. Tell me about it. Is it good? Um, I'm start. I've just started using it. It seems pretty good. Um, I think I'm going to give it a couple of weeks and maybe we'll do a review of it. They're but bloody expensive. Yeah, I, I got a um, I got a whoop. A whoop. Oh, is that yeah. good? The, the one we blow into it? No, no, that's the wristband one. Oh, yeah, okay. The Whoop's good because you, it can charge on your wrist, so you never have to take it off, which I think is genius. That's genius, because um, I, ha- I hate having to take this off at night. Yeah, that's the worst thing about like an Apple Watch and every other watch, that you just have to take it off, and then you, you have to charge it and never remember to put it back on. Also, so you, the, I want it to track my sleep. Yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. point. Yeah. So the, the Whoop, you can um, charge the charger and then clip it on, and it charges like oh, while you're wearing it, which is really clever. That is very clever. Um, the aura ring lasts for like seven days. Um, so it's pretty powerful. How do you charge it? <clears throat> Just on like a, like a little circular ring charger thing. Oh, cool. Yeah. But I think the, I think the whoops got the market played with its charging thing. But, yep. um, in terms of stats, I think this is pretty damn good, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I want something that's going to like track my exercise as well as my sleep and stuff like that. I mean, to be honest, I don't really sleep much anyway. <laughs> But um, it was no. quite, so for, for the audience, I sleep about four hours a night. I imagine um, you just micro-sleep. I just picture you just like closing your eyes for 10 minutes at a time and bring it up <laughs> to like charge During the, the day? Yeah. No. <laughs> just I, I micro-sleep while people are talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I sleep about four to five hours uh, a day or a night. And um, for many years, people have been like, that's not enough, it's not enough. But... Like, it shows that I've got an incredibly efficient sleep, basically. So I, I, get, I get, like, two hours of REM and deep sleep out of that four hours, which is pretty... That's pretty good. Yeah. Some people can, like, do a full eight-hour sleep and then... Don't get that. Don't get yeah. the REM. Yeah. So it's... Uh, I'm, I'm quite um, I'm quite efficient when I sleep, but yeah. It's very on brand for you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, let's get started, mate. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Yeah. <laughs> Diversity and inclusion. It feels like it can be a really sensitive topic of conversation in today's work environment. 
Everyone has the right to thrive in their own skin, both at work and society in large. So how do you contribute meaningfully to the modern posture? <laughs> do you like that? Yeah, just leave that in, yeah. Well done. All right. All right, D&I, man. Today's topic, obviously, is uh, it's sensitive. So just bear in mind that we're two blokes who have an opinion, um, yeah. speaking from our experience. We will be our most mindful and, and we'll do our best to be sensitive, um, yeah. but I will apologize if we do say anything that might not come off in the best light, I suppose, for us. Like, you know, it's very easy to sort of trip up in an area like this. So, yeah, just pre pre preface that, I guess. But I guess as, as two managers, we both have strong opinions, strong positive opinions about this. Yeah. Um, I guess in terms of experience, we have highly varied experience. Um, I've not really had any challenges with like, you know, uh, you know, racism or anything in, in the workplace necessarily. Um, have had it when I was at school. I'm, uh, my family's Italian. I grew up in Australia. Australia, if you didn't know, generally a bit of a racist country. Yeah, anyone who's watched the news recently saw that we've just uh, knocked back, you know, a really important vote to include Indigenous people in our constitution. So, yep. so indicative of the way that, um, unfortunately, the country thinks about things. Um, but in, in sort of corporate world, I've never really experienced any challenges, but I know as a manager, I've got strong feelings about, um, not hitting equity like, or, or diversity, um, markers or targets. Cause I think they're ridiculous, mm. but I know that bringing people in from different backgrounds, different, um, different, um, experiences, different trains of thought, different, um, you know, uh, ideals, religious or ideals or whatever yeah. um, actually stimulates far greater um, ways of thinking. Yeah, I agree. So just for the record, I suppose when we talk about diversity, I mean, diversity and inclusion isn't, I mean, I think most, the t most topical ones are talking about sexuality and gender, but there's mm. also disability, there's age, mm. there's religion, as you've just said. Yeah. And I think it's important to, I mean, the workplace really should be a reflection of society and society is yeah. an incredibly diverse place. Yeah. So it's how do you have a workplace that has really a fairly checkered past in being white male oriented to feel like a place where people of all kinds of backgrounds and predisp predispositions can thrive. Yeah, I guess for, for us, we work in property construction engineering. It's a traditionally white male um, industry, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but how do we, how do we overcome that? One of my favorite sayings is you can't solve problems with the same thinking that created it. And for me, uh, that is at the core of why a diverse workplace is, is critical to future evolution in, in our industry, but in every industry. And I think more recently there's been some significant opportunities to facilitate that, like the introduction of a far greater um, remote workforce. So we can hire people from all corners of the globe for certain roles um, with different skill sets. We can look at um, what their sort of training and uh, capabilities are from a more rudimental perspective and start to introduce those, those people from all different parts of the world um, with different ways of thinking. So I am... Um, I sit on a judging panel. Um, I judge an in, uh, a sort of global award um, annually, and it was so cool. One of the, one of the finalists of one of these awards last year um, 
was a massive company. I won't name them. But um, the entire team of 15 people, not one of them lived in the same country. And I was like, Jesus Christ, as a manager, that's incredible to be able to manage people who don't even live in the same time zone. Like, it was super impressive stuff. Um, but I was I was just more thinking as well from like a diversity perspective. Their thinking is different. The way that they, um, the way that it communicates different. You know, um, don't know about you, but when I moved over here, I was made acutely aware that um, the British culture is quite different to Australian culture. Yep. And I, I got some lessons before I moved over here from. Oh, that must be nice. I didn't get any of that shit. <laughs> well, uh, you know, working for a global company, you know. Uh, understanding cultural differences was important um and so you know understanding that people would not like confrontation here and all that sort of stuff so yeah um on that though what i find interesting is obviously we've just commented on our experience predominantly being in australia like if you look proportionately at our working lives coming here something you do notice very quickly though is that at least because the uk is so globally centric there is a lot more diversity just generally in the population and that translates across into the workforce as well. Mm. So for us, it was a bit of a culture shock coming from somewhere like Australia where like for anyone who is based in London, like I think I found the first time I went for a walk down Whitechapel, like the main, main drag of Whitechapel was really shocking and not in a bad way. It just was something I was so unused to seeing. Mm -hmm. And I think like you talk about, I mean, in Australia particularly, they talk about it being multicultural. I don't think that Australia is multicultural. I think it's multi-ethnic. Mm. And I think that we expect people of different ethnicities to move to Australia and then become culturally Australian. Yeah. And you go to a place like New York or you go to London and that's multicultural because there are full areas and districts where people don't have, don't speak English as their first language. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're entitled to their language. They're entitled to their culture and their religion. And they're mm. uh, able to exist and live in sort of the patchwork of society that is there. Mm. And that's a huge difference that I noticed coming here. Mm. The infrastructure in Australia makes it really challenging too. You know, transport, public transport's pretty crap. Um, So when you get uh, people who migrate to Australia, they they gravitate towards the areas that their, their, you know, their fellow people sort of stay at, whether it's like, if you're Italian, you're in Leichhardt or... Yeah, if you're Vietnamese, you're in Cabramatta. Yeah, and yep. because public transport's rubbish, people tend to sort of stay in those kind of areas, which just facilitates that further, yep. you know, further challenge. But anyway, <clears throat> back to you. Let's talk about you. Um, <laughs> My favourite topic. <laughs> yeah, I've always, I've always known you to be authentic um, in yourself at work. How did you approach your sexuality in the workplace? Have, has there ever been a time you've not felt included? I know we've talked about this briefly um, in our intros, but let's dive into that a bit more. Yeah, so like um, it's interesting because I sort of kind of, I think we talked about in our introduction episode, I kind of fell into my career trajectory. If I wanted to be in a space where, you know, being gay was kind of stock standard, I would have looked at, you know, law or, you know, finance or, you know, I've got tons of friends they work in those spaces or it'd be a PT or whatever. I think construction and manufacturing are not stereotypically like spaces in the workplace where you see a lot of people who are gay. Um, and really, like, I came out of university. Well, openly gay, at least. Openly gay, exactly. Mm. That's fair. Um, and I came into the workplace, and my first role was working for a company that manufactured uh, cast iron and steel 
goods for the mining industry. Mm. So I was working in foundries and foundries are, there's a really funny episode of the Simpsons <laughs> where the gay bars called the foundry. Mm. I can tell you that's not the case. <laughs> um, but I remember like my first job was working in a foundry and that filthy and noisy and the average, you know, the cut off jean shorts. And the no, that's a uh, <laughs> healthy health and safety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but like the, so the average person in there was sort of a 60 year old white male. Um, yeah. And so for me, I kind of, not that I, not that I think it's immediately obvious. I mean, if you saw what I look like today, I've got long blonde hair and you know whatever else. I don't exactly fit into the aesthetic of what the average person in that work environment was like. So for me, I kind of had the decision to assimilate or to just fucking turn up to work and and be whatever. And I I think like I realized at a young age, like you can only really be targeted by sort of negative vitriol if you give people opportunity to so if i felt a sense of shame in who i was and you know i've had a lot of years to kind of i'm very lucky i was raised in a family that was very supportive um i've never really faced any serious targeted homophobia in my personal environment or even at school really um i managed to kind of skate through school fairly unscathed with you know in terms of of any of that sort of stuff so for me, I didn't have that kind of like sensitivity to being authentic and mm. I felt fairly comfortable in who I was. And, mm. you know, after a bit of soul searching, it, it was a decision. It was a very cognizant decision I made to just fucking be be myself. Well, I'm, I'm going to raise something that my, uh, is a bit kind of str- strange as well. Um, and it could be out of my own ignorance too, but you also, do, you're not, you're kind of like typical, stereotypical target gay guy either like you're a big fucking bloke um you know uh, unshaven yeah and i guess if you're um when you first started working for me i knew you were gay but you didn't tell me it yeah. and people around me didn't know yeah um i only knew it to be honest with you because of your cv did i mention it in my cv you, you mentioned certain things in your cv and i was like, like oh okay okay this guy's gay cool yeah. um but C- certain things goes to the gym no, uh, no, no, no. So, like, you played for a gay rugby, cl- oh, rugby fair. club and, yeah, that's fair, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's then, true. like, six yeah. months into you working for me originally, people were like, fuck, is James gay? And I was like, yeah. So, yeah. What's, what, what's the question? Um, but you just don't, you're not a... I don't lead with it. Well, yeah, and also I just think, like, this sounds really horrible but in our in our industry you're not an easy target you're a big guy you're mm. confident mm. um you know it, i guess for uh other people you're not someone that you'd readily be able to pick on you know it's funny you say that so to your second part of the question so uh my first role was in western australia it was a great space to work had a great time there and then they closed that boundary and i was moved to adelaide and the the guy who was the operations manager at that foundry was homophobic. Mm. And I didn't realize it was homophobia until well and truly into the issue. So basically I was put onto a project that was essentially babysitting a robot for eight hours a night. So I'd turn up to I think we talked about that. Yeah. yeah, I'd turn up to work and basically watch this thing go and that was my job. And I think after about three months I was going absolutely stir crazy. And I'd started to kind of say, like, this is not what I came here to do. Like I didn't, you know, I don't want to do this basically. It's not what I signed up for. And, you know, it then became apparent to me that this guy was absolutely homophobic and basically said, oh, you people think you're so special, blah, 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 blah. And 
I mean, that aside, like I've had a few issues over the years. You know, we've all had shit managers and, and there are people out there that, you know, make a sport out of being kind of narcissistic dickheads. Mm. Um, and for me, it wasn't so much the gay card. Uh, in a way, <laughs> this is my dad, bless his heart. I remember we were talking to it about him and he was like, he's like, you pull that gay card, mate. You fucking pull that shit out with HR. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, you know what though? Like, I think I felt more or less the opposite inclination. Mm. I don't want to pull the gay card because mm. for me, that feels like a cop out. I had every right to turn around and say this guy's made homophobic comments, but it didn't mm. feel topical to my issue. Mm. I was kind of like, well, regardless of whether he thinks I'm gay or not, like I don't like this role. Mm. I don't like what I'm doing here. So it didn't feel, I didn't feel the need to slam on that red button. I also um, think you're not the kind of, well, th- again, this is not uh, a derogatory thing to say about others who might feel like they need to use, uh, they need to rely on that a little bit um, for a circumstance. But I feel like you're the the kind of person who will say, fuck you, um, this is not about being gay, it's yeah. about doing the right thing yep. and you're not going to, um, you're not going to treat me badly because I'm gay, you're not going to treat me badly just because I'm, I'm a person, like, uh, that's exactly I deserve right. a role that's yep. better than this, gay or not. Exactly, that's 100% it, I was like, my sexuality is completely irrelevant to my capability here. Yeah. And like we talked about this last week about sort of being able to see someone for their skill set and put the person aside. Mm. And I somewhat expect that of people in a way. Because mm. at the end of the day, I don't turn up to work to be your mate. You don't have to accept what I do outside of work. You don't yeah. have to do like, you know, I'm not asking you to even acknowledge my sexuality. If anything, mm. it's none of your business. Mm. Like the fact that like my sexuality is even on your mind is mm. seems like a waste of time. You know, there's so many other things that like are negative things that, that again get completely overlooked. Like why is who I choose to sleep with mm. like relevant, you know? Mm. Yeah. So that was like that's my that's my only really negative experience in the workplace. And to be honest with you, I kind of got through it fairly unscathed. And I said that comes from that posture of feeling fairly comfortable with myself. If someone yeah. is I'm almost of a mindset now, if someone's stupid enough to have an issue with my sexuality, like they're not worth my time. Yeah. There was one other uh, situation that you weren't aware of where oh, yeah. uh, it kind of landed on my desk. We had a, um, uh, when we were first working together, we had a, a, a guy who we worked with who was, again, stereotypical, sort of in his late 50s, early 60s. Um, this is about 10 years ago now. Um, and he came to me one day and was like, um, you know, look at look at Pete's Instagram. Um, look at you know he's he's got he's half naked in in all of his pictures and all that sort of stuff. And um, you you need to talk to him about it. And I was like, no, I don't. You know, um, what difference does it make what he's doing in his spare time? Um, and he's like, yeah, but you know, uh, he's representing the business. I'm like, not on his Instagram. He's not. You know, like it's it's irrelevant what he's he's doing in his spare time. He's well, there's nothing on there that indicates I even work for that company. But e- even if there was, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're advertising for the company mm-hmm. um, through your Instagram. If there was a, any indication you work for that company, it was very subtle or whatever. Someone would have to try and work it out. But it wasn't like you were the global marketing face of the company and therefore 
um, that was representing the company's ideals and whatever. But e- even still, like what you do in your spare time is completely up to you. I think yeah. that's the thing is there was nothing in there that was illegal or mm. even socially unsavory. Mm. I think if it was like, for example, if I worked for like the Uniting Church <laughs> or something like that, where mm. there was a formal sort of stance against that. If I worked for the Catholic Church, for example, mm. probably not going to be you know, dancing around in a pair of speedos, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, exactly in that sense, it's like there's nothing illegal, there's nothing negative here. Mm. It's just you are uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think um, I, I just said to him, you, you've got, you've got no right to tell him how to live. I've got no right to tell him how to live. He's here doing a job, um, and unless he's doing a bad job, um, you know, th- there'll be no discussion about this moving forward. I did put my Instagram on private after that, though. I was like, well, can't have it. I mean, that in itself, when you told me, I was like, why is he on my Instagram? That's such a weird, creepy thing. I, like, I did not care for this person. We didn't really get along in the workplace. I would never really bother spending time with him outside of work. But to be clear, though, the only thing that I told you was that um, he had raised something with me about your Instagram profile being public. I told him it was none of his business, but... It, it was up to you how you wanted to handle it. Yeah, of um, course. It wasn't me saying no. Yeah, no, no. change anything. I was more creeped out by the fact that someone at work had made the concerted effort to look up my social media profile. Mm-hmm. Like, especially someone that I'm A, not friends with and B, don't really care for very much. So mm. what are you doing in your spare time? Yeah, but I think as well, like, it, it reflected the fact that the, this person was trying to, you know, who who had different ideals and different perspectives was using that to judge you in a in a... In a completely non-professional manner mm-hmm. um so there was a bit of that too uh so i think it's like from what i've seen working with you uh, over the years there's m- there's more subtle kind of challenges that, that you've faced over the years than um really confronting ones yeah i think it's all self-imposed and i've talked about with this with you in the past about feeling like potentially I'm slightly isolated. Mm. And I suppose that speaks pretty poignantly to like our topic today is diversity inclusion. It's, it's a tricky space, right? Cause we, like we have another anecdote. So a few years ago, Australia had a plebiscite to basically approve parliament passing gay marriage in Australia, which is wild. Cause Australia was so late to the party on gay marriage and it was such a non thing. Like, I don't think anyone's ever raised a, like a momentary pause on it since it's happened. Mm. But during the plebiscite, obviously it was a very kind of triggering and unpleasant experience. You know, a lot of negative vitriol came out from the Nope camp and, and a lot of shit was thrown around and it was, a, I mm. think quite traumatic for a lot of people. For me, I was kind of like expected it. Yeah. What I found challenging was that in this day and age as a business, I, I think there's no way that you can like, I was very disappointed in, in, in the way that, that company kind of handled it. So when mm. the plebiscite was announced, an email went out to everyone at work and it didn't say, it wasn't trying to influence or sway people's point of view on it. It basically just said, it's not to be discussed. Yeah. And I, in my head, I was like, I, maybe that was them trying to avoid there being any negative conversation around it. But I also think that's a huge coward move because in my mind, they're like, we don't want to have to deal with a HR nightmare of someone saying something stupid at work. So just don't well, say in, in reality, what was happening was that this was a very um, religious based, um, uh, whatever, debate. Leadership team, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was very religious. Like yeah. uh, in Australia, it was a very religious based debate. 
and what was happening was the owners of the of the business uh religious um they i think you know uh from their background they're quite religious and what they were trying to do was not be seen to be taking a no stance taking a no stance even though their religious side would have said no you know well i think the thing is is like what like the the so it was a married couple that were the leaders mm-hmm. of this business and the wife one day in the hallway just it was the most awkward. i was with you at the time mm-hmm. and we were walking around the, the office or whatever and she she caught me in the corridor and she shouted from the end of the corridor just letting you know that i'm voting yes and i was like okay thanks <laughs> for that like yeah i was like what i would prefer is that like you know they basically said don't talk about it at work because the way i picture it is they imagine that there definitely were people in the business that had a conservative no stance towards it. Mm-hmm. Someone in the business, potentially a senior person in the business, saying something outrageous mm. in the in a in a no stance, mm. and then them having to be like, oh, "Fuck!" Now we've got to mm. address this. Mm. Do we need to fire them, reprimand them, whatever? So, I see that as more cowardly on their part because I'm like, "Wouldn't you want those people to make themselves known so you can get rid of them?" Well. I don't think you can necessarily get rid of people for their their positions, but I think what they should have said is, we believe in everybody's own right to choose and and vote however they want. However, what we're going to do is vote yes. Yeah. Um, and they never came out and said that. They just said, people's choices are their own, that's it. Like, not people's choices are their own. However, we think the right thing to do is vote yes on this. And I think that was a general... You know, a lot of large companies, including the one that you work for now, went the other way and said, no, no, this is the right thing to do. Yep. We're voting yes. We're a fully inclusive business. Um, we believe in everybody's rights, um, et cetera, et cetera. They now fly rainbow flags and people wear rainbow boot laces and whatever, you mm-hmm. know. And I thought for, for me, moving into that company was brilliant. Um, and I think when you moved over, you saw that sort of stuff and you're like, fuck, this is pretty good as well. But I think generally uh, that's that's not what they did. It was quite a yeah cowardly kind of way of addressing cowardly. it. Um, well, I think that's the other thing, right, is I, my experience in the workplace, and I said this before about not having friends, I feel like we talk about diversity and inclusion. You do have work. friends, by the way. I do, yes. Not at work. <laughs> not at work. <laughs> Here's the thing, right, is I think for the average person who may be wondering, like, what does diversity, what's the point, why? Mm-hmm. And I talk about having not felt like I have a lot of friends at work, and that comes from my experience of a lack of diversity and inclusion. So if anyone wondering like, what's the point of flying a rainbow flag? What's the point of having diversity inclusion committees? As someone who comes into a workplace who's come, uh, and I'm very lucky being born in the nineties and you know, there's plenty of representation now in the media and most of these kids these days are like coming out at like 12, you know what I mean? Like, so in today's day and age, it's improving massively, but you grow up and it's still a bit on the fence about like, is your sexuality okay? And then you enter an industry where typically it's not, there's, it's not particularly common to be LGBT or, you know, and, and I just bear in mind, I know this podcast, we talk about diversity inclusion. It's very gay male centric. And that's just because that's my experience, mm-hmm. but you enter the workplace and your experience is to kind of be unsure about who you are. And that affects the way that you approach forming relationships. Yeah. And so for me, if a business hasn't made the effort to make me feel okay with myself in my most authentic way, I will naturally isolate myself socially from people at work. And as a result, I've spent a good chunk of my working life 
being socially isolated, I've never felt like I've had mates at work. I've never felt like I could go out for drinks on the weekend or hang out with people, you know, aside from yourself and a few individuals over the years. And that really affects your ability to kind of like embed yourself in business culture. Mm -hmm. And so I think what is challenging today for most businesses, and you see like it's a lovely gesture that businesses are making, like the rainbow flags and stuff. I think what I kind of want to talk about next is like how can you influence diversity and inclusion in a meaningful way? Because it's very easy to slap on a rainbow sticker on your laptop and be like, yay. And that's nice. It's a nice gesture because it means that you're indicating to those around you who are outside of the normal sphere of you know existence that there is a place for them in your, in your mind and in your heart. But what can you do in the workplace to actually meaningfully influence someone's experience to be a positive one? Yeah. I think it's a tough one to be honest with you because there are there are deep seated uh, and ingrained um, sort of prerequisites uh, in in sort of in how we hire people, who we hire, where they come from, what experience they've got, um, and the key to being able to influence it is throwing that out the window. And unless you're in a certain position of authority, that's actually really hard. So, for example. And it's not just our industry, it's it's most industries. When you're going to advertise for a role, down the bottom it always says, must have 10 years industry experience, must be, you know, have 15 years experience as a leader, must have this qualification, must have that. Those prerequisites naturally, immediately preclude certain types of people, certain types of backgrounds. And it's been shown in studies that um, men will see those prerequisites and see them as a guideline and something that they can somewhat ignore and believe they can push push the boundaries. Women won't. They'll see it and say, oh, 15 years' experience, I've only got 12. Uh, can't go for that job. Um, whereas a man will say, 15 years' experience, I've only got 12. Yeah, Round it up. <laughs> She'll be right. <laughs> close enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, the, the key as a leader for me that I've recognised over the last few years is that I need to throw that out the window largely. But the problem is that throughout screening processes for large organisations, I don't screen them first. So they go through the HR process uh, automatically, they screen them, they shortlist them. So what I'm trying to do is influence the advertisements, trying to um, You're looking more for skills rather than experience. Because like 10 years experience, you could be a shit kicker at a... You could be working for a company where you're not exposed to heaps of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Or you could work, you could do five years and have a crash course in a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I'm also trying to direct approach people um, far more than just Based wait on for, LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. Um, instead of just uh, getting candidates coming through. Um, but I think that it depends on the company you're in, but there's a hell of a lot of work to do. So looking at, and this is, you know, back into your world as well, but looking at fundamental skills, um, looking at, fundamental capabilities and competencies rather than, you know, has this person got an MBA or, or have they got 15 years experience? It's like, what are the transferable skills? So I was talking to a guy at work the other day. He's an accountant. Jeez, this guy's super clever. Um, really, really clever. He's bored out of his head. Um, and he's like, what, what I want to do is start working in, in construction projects as like a commercial person. Like, you're an accountant, good start. All you really need to do, to be honest with you, black and white, is learn contracts. Yep. So what you need to do is partner up with the legal department. 
um, start doing work with them, get a, get a bit of a secondment with them, looking at contracts. Once you understand contracts and you understand money, you'll probably be better than most commercial directors or commercial managers in, in our projects. Um, but how do we, how do, like, unless it's me using my authority or my position to create that opportunity for that person, how would that happen ordinarily, you know? That's, that's, a, that's a question. How would we do that? I mean, the thing, we were talking about this with, with some friends last night about, I mean, we'll, let's pivot and talk about women for a bit. Mm-hmm. And same deal is that you're talking about, obviously, the advertising process and the way that men and women approach applying for roles is very different. But then in terms of we have an industry that is male-dominated, how can you create a space where a woman feels she can come into the business? She doesn't have to harden herself. You see, unfortunately, like a lot of women in senior positions and there's this impression that they're bitches, you know, they are, oh, she's a ball breaker. She's a this, she's a that. And really it's just that she maybe feels, uh, I hate saying she, but a woman maybe feels like they have to, you know, put on a facade or they have to really like, you know, make themselves quite, aggressive in order to kind of stand up to men Mm. and i think in a truly sort of egalitarian workplace where everyone is equal shouldn't people feel comfortable enough to be authentic and soft and feminine and maternal and all of the or masculine and hard and whatever it is Mm -hmm. in a way that allows them to just do their job you know what i mean yeah it's hard when I'd say, what, 80%, maybe even more, 85% of our workplaces are males, mm. you know? And so how does a woman do her job in her most authentic way without having to be like a quote-unquote ball breaker? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a pretty amazing stat as well in our industry. Um, the construction property and engineering industry has the highest rate of, of suicide uh, out of any industry. Um, specifically males, I think it's between the age of 30 and 45, are the highest rate of suicide um, uh, altogether. However, interesting stat, on construction projects or in construction businesses where there's a high proportion of females, that um, that stat falls through the floor. Yeah. Wow. Why? I mean, think about it because like a hyper-masculine environment is is particular is is unemotional it's intense it's competitive it's abrasive it's a lot of the things that you expect to see in a stereotypical like locker room environment again quote unquote yeah I like that yeah and so i think naturally <laughs> the funny thing is like i remember you talk about like growing up i went to an all boys school and you talk about when you say girls when they go to all girls schools they become boy crazy um, because they don't know how to naturally interact with males when they enter, you know, the real world. I do think that in both male and female dominated spaces, there's an unhealthy culture that erupts out of, you know, this concentration of one particular type of person. And you see, I'd say that female dominated work environments and people talk about it all the time, like you have a group of women and they can be quite abrasive with one another as well. And I do think that that, speaks highly of the fact that diversity is a necessary component of society. You know, we need to have difference of opinion. We need to have difference of approach. You need passive people. You need dominant people. You need, you know, and so that's a very interesting statistic. Like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What about, uh, 
What about things that juniors could do to try and influence DNI? So something I, I think I deeply appreciate about um, the younger generation. So you've got these Gen Z and Gen Alpha kids coming up and because of things like TikTok and also just the world we live in where diversity is starting to get a real platform is being authentic, right? So I think one of the biggest disservices you can do to yourself but also your colleagues is to be an inauthentic version of yourself. And I talked about this earlier in that I've never had to really face a lot of problems. And I, I come from a privileged position of being able to be myself and not be heavily persecuted by my family, my government, you know, those around me. I can be gay and I can be honest about that and not be have my life threatened or be threatened with violence or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky in that sense. But I think if you're in the position to be, being authentic and transparent about who you are you know, what your preferences are. And I don't mean you have to walk around, you know, telling people who you have sex with on the weekends. However, if your gender or, and this is for people who are non-binary or people who are, you know, sexually diverse or whatever, even people of ethnic backgrounds or cultural backgrounds. So you hear all the time, like, and I know this is true in the United States, like people, uh, African-Americans being less quote black at work in the way they present and the way they talk and the way they they whiten themselves up with the way that i think that's a huge disservice because visibility is really what and that exposure to difference is what makes it less confronting as i said to you when we first moved to the uk the first time i walked down Whitechapel road i was like oh my god because it is a like heavily ethnically dominated space in london Mm. and now i love it like you walk down on a friday night and it's a it's buzzing and it's lively and there's things happening. There's music and there's food and there's smells and there's this and there's that. And I think that's awesome now. Like I love to go down Whitechapel Road on a Friday night and, you know, just see things and and be a part of it. And so as a young person coming into the workplace, being yourself, you know, can be a very scary thing to do. But, you know, perfect example. Um, I remember one time working at the foundry in Adelaide, um, a guy – came up to me and, and he goes, oh, I, I, listen, I, I want to ask you a question. And I was like, sure, what's the, what's the problem? And he was like, well, I think my grandson might be gay. Mm. And because I had a good relationship with this guy and I'd been myself and authentic, this guy felt comfortable enough to come to me and ask me, you know, what can I do? What should I do? How can I be supportive? Mm. You know, is there a problem here? Do I need to worry about X, Y, and Z? And he felt comfortable. I have no doubt that I gave him some really important advice Mm. about how to best approach being a good grandfather to his gay grandson Mm. you know and and that's amazing because for me i'm like wow i could have really made a massive impact on this young guy's life because his grandfather suddenly knew what to do and how to be the best Mm. support he could be Mm. and all i had to do is be myself and this guy could then ask and so as a junior person i think that is the best thing you can do yeah be your authentic self yeah yeah i think that it you know it can be a challenge um through different times of your life and different experiences you know like difficult for you to continue to be your authentic self at work whilst that person in your first business was openly homophobic homophobic but you did it you know Mm. and it obviously shows that the majority of people will want to support you being your authentic self and you've just got to deal with the outliers who who won't um you know it's uh it's a tough one hopefully it's starting to get easier i don't know Uh, i think it's a generational shift like 
I mean, not to say that there's no the racism is still rampant, obviously, but mm. think about like in terms of racism where we were 60, 80 years ago, even yeah. 40 years ago, and think about like the notion of coming to work and making a racist comment and the implications of that versus if you did it in the 70s. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I'd like to think, God forbid that society doesn't move backwards, mm. is if we continue to move forwards, the default setting is that like, yeah, I mean, there's a space for everyone and why shouldn't there be? Yeah, for sure. Well, for me, I, I think the, you know, um, being a white male of um, somewhat privilege, you know, like I've got um, an immigrant dad who worked multiple jobs to provide me with every opportunity, but so I've been given every opportunity. The The main thing for me is that um, I think there's an, a phenomenal opportunity that society has in front of it to bring in more and more diverse thinking. And as I said earlier, like we can't solve problems with the same thinking that created them. And I think that is, you know, from a business perspective, the underlying opportunity, you know, the people with different ideas, people with different um, perspectives will bring novel uh, solutions. Mm. And in our industry, it's, it, you know, tradition is there. Construction techniques haven't changed for centuries. Um, that's where the opportunities lie, where we bring people from completely different backgrounds in to start thinking very differently. So just from a business perspective, the opportunities are immense. Uh, we just need to get past or continue to get past our own personal underlying kind of biases. Yep. Cool, man. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a meaty topic, and I think it's probably something we can come we'll back, back to for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, like I said, this particular episode's been very sort of white, gay, male centric in terms of my experience, but I think there will definitely be opportunity to discuss. You know, we haven't really talked much, touched much on disability, mm. but I know there's some really incredible programs out there to ensure that people with physical and mental disability can be included i know that we're going to do a whole series on women um yeah and it's important i mean us talking about this is part of it really um yeah, yeah just on that topic just very briefly as well on the disability one that um i'm seeing more and more companies when they're doing their kind of entrance uh questions like background questions asking you know do you have neurodiversity neurodiversity um it's a tough one because i think a lot of people who've got uh, neurodiverse um, um, tendencies. Tendencies, thanks. Um, they will not want them to be known. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I, like, self- what's the questionnaire for? Like, how are you going to use this? You know, it's not like you're going to be able to support me with my, you know, challenge. So, what's you know, what what are you going to use this for? Like, it, it can be quite. It's know, funny you say that because, like, how I, is this going to be used against me, sort of thing? Yeah, know, well, like, as someone who's so I, I have ADHD for sure. And I think for me, I felt a real sense of liberation, like through things like TikTok, where it's when you acknowledge that your brain works a certain way, all of a sudden you have the freedom to work around it. So, you know, like, okay, I have a, I have a tendency to think or behave a certain way. I'm going to structure my work environment or my plan for the next six weeks or the way I approach certain tasks to accommodate my needs. And suddenly like, you feel so much lighter because you're like, I'm not broken. I just need to do something differently. Yeah. And if anything, I can, you leverage your diversity 
to your advantage. So that, that's the thing though. Like, so right now when you answer those questions, it's not as though your business is going to start catering to your different way of working True. right now. So I kind of question the motive, whether it's just ticking a box and saying, yeah, we've got new or diverse people. But yeah. Well, it's like in Australia how they ask if you're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander on things, and it's yeah. purely for statistics. Yeah, and like, so one of my best mates has that background. He just purposely doesn't tick it because he doesn't want the doesn't like want the government grants, and he doesn't want all that sort of stuff. He wants to stand in his own two feet, which I think is great. But you know, um, but also it, anyone who wants the assistance is entitled to it as well. Just purpose, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think um, this is what I was saying before. It is a far more deep-seated challenge you know like so the people that uh, that come into into our industry into any industry they will be funneled that way in some way shape or form through their learning at school through their you know parenting through their um education at university through whatever and if you if you've got neurodiverse requirements those aren't necessarily being met at the moment and therefore you're going to naturally end up doing something that that you can cope yeah. with. Well, know. I mean, capitalist society as well dictates that there is a fairly well-trodden path on what contributes most beneficially to social structure, right? Mm. You know, even if you go back, <laughs> I love we're like about to rip the episode up and then we're just <laughs> tangent. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but, um, there, you know, if you look back 200 years ago, the way that society functioned and operated, it's not really since the industrial revolution, we have a very kind of like cookie cutter way to approach kind of like living your life, which is you get a job, you earn money, you contribute to the economy, blah, 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 you die. And before that, really like the amount that people work, the way they chose to work, the profession that they kind of fell into and the way they did all that was a lot more flexible. People, Uh you know, used to work on average two to three hours a day and they'd work only a few days a week and only for the summer months of the year. And that was, you know, in a in a um, sort of a, a farmer gatherer kind of like pre-industrial era. That was the way the world was, and so we've created this very hard-lined way that people have to approach their livelihoods now. And it's, I think, about high time that we kind of revisit, you know, the fact that there are some people who, because of their neurodiversity, for example, are really well suited to certain functions in society that typically have been put on a shelf away from them Mm. and they've had to just do the nine to five office thing. They've had to kind of conform and sort of twist themselves into sort of standard kind of ways of functioning to be a a contributing member of society. Yeah, for sure. And I think like you said, it it feels like, feels like a bit of a tick boxing box, a tick boxing exercise. Is that right? Tick box. Yeah. Yeah. Tongue twister. Yeah. Tongue twister. Um, exercise to kind of ask these questions yeah. but i'd like to think that eventually forward, eventually yeah. comes of it like yeah. do you do you have adhd if you do you know it's something for a manager to keep in mind if people are educated on how people with adhd function a manager can then be like i know for sure one of my staff is adhd and in my head i'm like great i know how to break these tasks down for you in a way that you will be able to complete them and you're not yeah. going to be overwhelmed without going down a rabbit hole um because we need to move on to my brilliant myth quiz. But um, I, I, I was shocked the other day to find out that in the UK, if you're not, um, if you've not been diagnosed by the, sort of the age of 30 to then be diagnosed with ADHD in the UK, you go on a waiting list that can be up to two years. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was just like, 
So obviously they're prioritising kids. Yep. Which I get. Because the adults but, are too far gone. <laughs> well, that, it was just shocking. So I, was, I, I had a, a staff member um, who just really, you know, had very clear signs that, you know, she was struggling to um, to kind of stay on top of her, her daily um, requirements. So I was trying to get her to bed in routines, which I know makes a big difference to people with ADHD. Um, and she was like, you know, I've been on a waiting list for two years to try and get diagnosed. I was like, fucking hell, two years. And, and this is just impacting her every single day, yep. you know. Yeah. But anyway, we've got to move on. I think yep. that was a really good discussion. Yep. Uh, we're definitely going to su- circle back to it. Um, yeah, there's definitely a topic in neurodiversity. There's a whole topic in women. There's a whole topic in disability. So this is kind of almost an intro to yeah, diversity yeah. and inclusion. Yeah, but that was brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Cheers, buddy. No worries. Alrighty, it's time for Julian's Myth Quiz. It's <laughs> a great name. <laughs> I was typing up the notes this morning and I was like, what do we call I was this? like, truth or trash, myth <laughs> quiz. I couldn't think. Anyway, we will we will workshop know. that. But yeah. there's but a quiz. But we we love a stat. So stat. we're going to run through some stats around D&I. Am I supposed to guess? This You're supposed true. to guess. All right. Yep. So we're going to run through them and um, and see whether, uh, whether we can land with some right answers or whether we're way off the mark. And it might be... Might be um, a good way of us working out what topics we need to dive into in the future on this um, on this more broad scale. So, first one: What percentage do you think um, of employees are on organisational boards? And I believe this is just based on the UK, but we'll see. Yeah, it's in the UK. Okay, so you're saying. So, like what percentage of employees on a company? Um, of organisational boards are women? Uh, 10%. No. Jeez, you really undercooked it there. <laughs> oh, I was like my cynical self. Okay, uh, 25%. No. Jesus. Oh, lower. Yeah. Oh, you say, so it's lower than 10? No, it's lower than 25. Okay, so it's between 10 and 25. Yeah. Um, 17.4. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's 19.7%. Oh, not, okay. 20, yeah. So roughly 20 yeah. One in five. That's, uh, um, I, yeah, that's, that's a bit higher than I thought it would be. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm going to, this is just, this is a stat I'm just going to read, which I think is interesting. For every hundred men promoted to managerial roles, only 86, uh, 86 women are promoted to the same roles, which I find interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a, geez, this is a triggering one. Um, for blind applications, i.e. No name. No name, no descriptor applications. How much do you think the uh, chances of women getting hired increases? I'd say it would like double or triple. Which is it? Triple. No. Double. Was it double? Very, very close, yeah. So, well, I, I guess du- double would imply 200%. No, it's it's... 46%, so like nearly 50% chance uh, improvement for women to get hired. Nice. Um, if it's a blind application. It should be that way anyway, to be honest with you. Or, yeah, blind applications for sure. Um, all right. Now let's talk about ethnic minorities. Mm. Um, 
what's the employment rate for ethnic minorities in the UK? Based on my experience of work, I'm going to say about 30%. Employment rate? You mean unemployment rate? Oh, no. Like So if you broke down a workplace and said, okay, how many people in this workplace are ethnically diverse? No, I think this is more like... Oh, like what's the employment rate? Okay, so unemployment rate in the UK is on average about 4 5%. So that's broadly speaking. So I'm going to say 65%. Very close. Yeah. 62.8. Fuck yeah, motherfucker. That's, jeez, that's a pretty incredible stat. Yeah. What about uh, the number of uh, ethnic minorities, uh, sorry, um, holding top management positions in the UK? Give me a a one in something number. One in 22. One in 16. So one in 16 um, ethnic minority employees hold top management positions in the UK. Wow. Yeah. Um, So every year, black men with the same job and qualifications as their white peers earn salaries that are X less. What is the number? Uh, 15%. Not a percent. Just give me a oh. give me a pound figure. Oh, pound figure. Poor. So every year, black men with the same job and qualifications as their white peers earn salaries that are X less. I would say ten thousand pounds. <laughs> no. Is not, it more or less? No, it's less. Oh, okay. Five thousand pounds. If you if you can imagine that the average salary in the UK, I think it's only thirty five grand. Oh yeah, okay. So it's not it's not okay. <laughs> not a sixth of the salary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if it's a percentage of okay, so that's fair. So thirty percent. Uh, I'm gonna say eight hundred pounds. It's double that. It's oh, sixteen hundred. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only X out of one thousand and ninety nine of the most powerful jobs are held by ethnic minority individuals. What? Say that again. Only X. Only out X out of one thousand and ninety nine of the most powerful jobs in the UK are held by ethnic minority individuals. One thousand and ninety nine feels like such a random number. Does that know, yeah. mean there's one thousand ninety nine powerful jobs in the UK? A- apparently. Okay, so you take out our two. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what so one thousand and ninety seven. <laughs> so we said. I said we said about employment. Let me just do the backward math. Uh, so as a proportion of 1,099, I'm going to say 150. Is it less? Yeah. Is it less than 100? Yeah. 75? No, less. Less? Yeah. So, okay, so uh, 40. No, more. 52. Wow. It's pretty low. That's fucking very low. Yeah. Jesus. And like what, I don't know because I'm, I'm obviously not of this country, but what proportion of black people are there in the UK? I don't know. It's a good question. We'll you should look probably that look that up. Yeah. Um, okay. At work, uh, this is a bit of a triggering one. At work, X percentage of LGBTQ plus employees, excuse me, um, reported hearing negative slurs, jokes, or comments about LGBTQ plus people. Mm, I'm going to say 40%. No, higher. 60%. Higher. 70%. Just under 
67.5. Bloody hell. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, I think I'd I'd probably deck someone if they said something inappropriate at work like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So lack of diversity in the workforce could cause X percentage of LGBTQ plus job seekers to not apply for a job at a company. So meaning if a, if a company appears to not be not uh, diverse, um, X percentage of LGBTQ plus people will just not apply for it. That's interesting. Um, okay. I'm going to say half, 50%. Just under, yeah, yeah. 40, yeah. 41. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting statistic. Um, it, what a, it what really a loss means, for some of those companies as well. well. It really means that, like, it represents that this is a, a strong definition for the individuals. Like, this is who I am, therefore I expect, you know, I, I want to work in a place that ha- has a sort of yep. diversity. Yep. Um, so it's a big factor. Like, you think of Alan Turing, who've basically solved, mm. cracked the code during the Second World War. Mm. Have you been to the Science Museum here? No, I haven't. They've got the actual Alan original... Oh. They've got the original, um, whatever it's called. The the device or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's something at the Manchester, there's a museum in Manchester that, because I think Alan Turing, he's, I think he's from Manchester. I don't know. Anyway, yes, I've seen, I've seen, I've obviously What's seen the movie. What's it called, the, the th- freaking thing? The, the theremin or whatever? No. No. No, that's not it. Um, it's a music instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I can't remember what it's called. The abacus. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, neurodiversity. Yeah. The UK unemployment rate for autistic adults is what percentage? 2%. Nope. Is it higher? Way higher. Oh, that's good. Okay. No, it's not good. No, wait, no. The UK unemployment oh, rate. Oh, unemployment. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say like 80%. Just under, yeah, yeah. 78%. Jesus. That's bad. Yeah. It's not good. That's fucking bad. Um, autism causes difficulty in day-to-day Activities for, I'm just going to tell you, 45% of autistic uh, adults. X percentage of employees would like their organisation to include individuals with intellectual uh, disabilities in their diversity and inclusion. So X percentage of employees would like their organisation to include individuals with intellectual disabilities in their diversity and inclusion. Is this disappointingly low? No. It's It's high? Yeah. Uh, 70%. Higher. 80%. 80%. Higher. 90%. Just under, yeah. Wow. That's Which good. Is good. Well yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Um, now, moving on to... This is an interesting one. Social class. Oh, yeah. That's a big thing here. Only... Uh, we're going to look at a, um, a fraction. So, what fraction of barristers attended a UK state school according to the bar service council diversity report so a one in something yeah one in 30 no lower it's it's higher one in 10 higher one in eight one fifth really actually okay that is interesting because mm. i know classism is like a big thing in the uk yeah definitely uh this is a very interesting um very, very interesting stat. Wouldn't let you, wouldn't be what you think. What percentage of senior civil service um, hail from backgrounds deemed to be privileged? Uh, senior civil service, so as in politicians. Yeah, well, uh, just, yeah. I, g- I guess what do you define as senior civil service? But it, it, it seems to be like non-private sector work 
like in senior positions. Okay, so like the head of stuff, head of things <laughs> and, and bits. Um, so what percentage? Uh, 20%. Less? Higher. Okay. 40%. Way higher. 80%. 72. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. I, th- I found that very interesting. Um, Another stat for you. Working class employees with the same education credentials as middle class employees earn 17% less on average. Really? Yeah. I wonder what defines that. I wonder how that works. Because it's not like when you get interviewed, people are asking you, like, where did you go to school? Or maybe I, I will say accents is a big deal here. Yeah. So you can could tell. Be. Could be. Well, you can tell pretty quickly from, I mean, that like, I, I know that that is distinctly the way that people kind of measure class here is how you speak. Really? It's massively. So, like, um, I saw a movie recently and Michael Caine's in it and he plays, he's got a, a sort of an East London accent. Yeah. And he's talking to some other bloke who's got a posh accent. He goes, you could cut glass with that accent. And it's a full, like, thing they talk about is, like, right. people meet and they've got, like, a Scouse accent or a, you know, Northern accent or an Essex accent or because accents are so indicative of, like, where, yeah. you came or fr- where you came from and what your background is. And really, like, you speaking posh can open doors for you, which is wild. Um, I'm have to start using that. I saw a play. <laughs> I saw a play recently. Well, I mean, you're exempt from that if you're foreign. Oh, right. um, but I'm still I do it. <laughs> hello, hello. hello. <laughs> I saw um I saw a play um recently um called uh, Backstage Billy. Very good play. Fun. Basically, um the main character is the um the queen's head um butler. I guess yeah. The queen mother's head butler. Yeah. And there's a whole thing about talking proper. And he's originally from, he's a Liverpudlian, which I think is yeah. funny. Um, but he, or from Coventry, and basically his whole thing is like learning to speak properly. And yeah. it's a real thing here. Like, and that I think, because uh, that's why Australia is essentially one giant middle class yeah. with a few exceptions. And an accent doesn't come into shit. You can't tell anything about where someone's from unless you really have an ear for it. Yeah. And it makes all of no difference in Australia. But here it makes a massive difference. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Well, that was interesting. Yeah, that was a great episode. Goes so, to show how little I know about anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're tough stats. Um, that's all we have time for today. So to stay up to date with the latest episodes, don't forget to like and subscribe. Feel free to leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers, buddy. Have we'll a good one. Soon. See you later.